Turn to Luke chapter 10 this morning. Luke 10 is going to be our primary text this morning. It's good to see you this morning, this cool morning in August. Enjoy it while it lasts. Last week we began a quick two-week series called The Greatest Priorities. We looked at Matthew 22 and we looked at Jesus' response to the Pharisees and a lawyer's question, what is the greatest commandment? And we found that the greatest commandment and priority for our lives is to love the Lord our God with all of our being. And we learned that without Jesus, this is an impossible task to even begin. We learned that it is only through God changing us from the inside out that we may begin to walk in this way. And every day we're reliant upon Jesus for this to happen. We're reliant upon the finished work of Christ for this to be a reality. Today we're going to be looking, and I'm going to read first from Matthew, our passage last week. But our primary text will be Luke chapter 10 this morning. So let me read from the word of the Lord first from Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law. And the prophets. And so Jesus says that we are supposed to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. This will be our primary text. And here is another spoiler alert it is impossible to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself without Jesus. Because we love ourselves very much, don't we? We all love ourselves. But let's think about our neighbors for a moment. You ever have a neighbor that love was the last thing you thought of when you thought about that neighbor? The neighbor who always shot his yard clippings on your driveway and it was the end of the world because of that. A neighbor who always walked by your house with their dog in the morning and surprised you had a present in your front yard every morning waiting for you. Maybe it's at work and the person at the cubicle next, next to you listens to their music just a little bit too loud and you're not interested in listening to their music or their phone conversation. Or maybe you get on the airplane like I have done before. You sit down and someone has snuck on their stinky homemade sandwiches that's made with expired mayonnaise and you wonder what in the world. How did this get past security? Drives you crazy, doesn't it? Leslie and I had a, had a neighbor several, several years ago now that um, they lived right next door to us and our yards were separated by just a small, short wooden fence. And now their backyard was a small triangle because it sat on a corner. So they had basically hardly any backyard at all, at all. but ours was a large square kind of backyard. And um, our dear neighbors decided it would be a great idea to get a dog. Now, we like dogs. You guys might know we have two dachshunds at home. We love dogs. But this family decided to get a huge dog in this very small space. And so they would let their dog out for long periods of time. 
and the dog would bark for long periods of time. So I'm working in our extra bedroom at the time, working on different things, and all, all I heard was roof, roof, all over and over and over again. And, and, and hear me, we all have different personalities, and my personality is that drove me crazy. That was my personality. I don't know about yours. How could this person be so inconsiderate to let their dog out and let him bark constantly? So I told a fellow pastor about this that I was working with at the time, and he laughed, and he said, I got the answer for you. I said, you do? I said, he said, yeah. He said, so when, when he and his wife were first married, they had the same situation pop up. And, and he said, so here's what you need to do. Go to the store and buy some biscuits. I said, okay. And then go to the, to the health aisle and get some Benadryl. <laughs> you see where this is going. He said, take a couple. It's a big dog, right? He said, I said, yeah. He said, take a couple Benadryl, stuff it in the biscuit, Chuck it over the fence. You won't hear from him all weekend. <laughs> now listen, we love dogs. We're animal people. So if you love animals and you think that's morbid, don't. don't. I didn't do it. <laughs> because I came home and I was excited about this plan. I was ready to do it. Because I was tired of hearing the barking. I told my wife. And she looked at me and she was like, really? <laughs> so ended the fun of... I guess drugging the dog is what, what, I'm, what I'm bragging about doing here. But now I didn't do it. Man, I wanted to. Sometimes it's hard to love our neighbors, isn't it? We read in Matthew 22, now we read in Luke 10. We're going to see in Luke 10 this morning three things. Three things that are important for us to understand with the command to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So allow me to read Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, the lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his animal, own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and and do likewise. You go and do likewise. Three things that we read in the scripture this morning regarding loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. The first is that we learn that our priority is to love our neighbor So we find Jesus and we find him being challenged once again by who? 
a lawyer. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like our passage last week. Last week, the, Pharaoh, the Pharisees bring in the lawyer to try to jam him up. And now Luke's account has a lawyer asking, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And notice the lawyer's job isn't just this innocent question, but the scriptures are clear to tell us that the lawyer stands up and puts him to the test. More challenges, more testing of priorities. And so Jesus, rather than answering, makes the expert give the answer. He says, well, what do you think it says? And the lawyer, being an expert, says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and Jesus tells the lawyer that he's given the correct answer. But as the lawyer does, he tries to justify himself. And he asks the most important question here, well, then who is my neighbor? Well, who, is, who are these people I'm supposed to love like I love myself? And the lawyer probably desired a simple answer. Just tell me the answer so I can do it. But Jesus tells a parable instead to allow the lawyer himself to discover the answer to this question. The question of who is my neighbor is a key theme that we have to understand. The parable that we're about to look at will help us clearly see who our neighbor truly is. So the next two points will be where we're at the rest of our message this morning. And the first of those is what loving our neighbor is not from the text that we see this morning. And the first thing we see in our text in verse 30 is that loving our neighbor does not equal safety. It says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. This man is on the Jericho Road. It's um, about 17, 18 miles long. It went through cliffs. It descended some 3,000 feet. It had twists and turns with caves all along the way. It wasn't simply a, a flat walking trail that you might imagine. It was a tough trip. And the road was used by merchants, by traders, by military personnel, and the road was perfect for robbers to hang out on. There were places to hide everywhere. The man finds himself in a dangerous situation. And so the man's on the road, and what happens? It says he fell among robbers. And the robbers attack him and beat him, and they leave him for dead. This wasn't just a little scuffle. This was bad news for the man. He's down. So the man's in a dangerous place, and now he's in a tough spot, vulnerable and left for dead. And he's in a place of need. Because if you're left for half dead, you cannot help yourself. This is a messy situation, isn't it? This is not clean and sanitized. Now, if, you've kind of come, if you had come upon the man, there, there would be no way to sanitize that situation. He was left for half dead. Coming upon this man calls for some kind of action. Loving your neighbor is risky. Loving your neighbor demands that you abandon your safety sometimes. Does it mean you abandon wisdom? Certainly not. But it does demand that we abandon the artificial barriers of safety that we put up in our lives so we don't have to deal with anything messy. We don't like that, do we? That's not fun and clean and sanitized like we like it. When I say that, it makes some of you squirm, doesn't it? Because loving your neighbor involves taking risks. Because eternal life is at stake. And we claim... 
here at Parkway that we have the answer to that. We, we have the answer. We claim that, and we claim that we have Christ in our lives. If we claim that, how is it that we can see our neighbors running into destruction and just wave at them as we get in our cars in the morning like no big deal is happening? That haunts me. It haunts me that my heart would be more worried about my safety and my comfort than others' eternal lives. But I'm afraid that we all, many times in our days, live just this way. Ben Stevens writes that we live in a culture of seclusion that has intensified over the last several decades. He writes that only in the last several decades can you get everything you need without leaving your doorstep. You used to have to go to the store to buy your groceries. Now you can get them delivered. You used to have to at least walk outside to get your newspaper to get the news. Now you just turn your phone on or your computer or your tablet. You used to have to go to the bank to deposit a check. Now you just take a picture of it and send it with your your phone. Our social interactions for some are next to nothing anymore. And because of this, we have generations who are growing up and they don't even know how to look in someone's eye. I remember growing up and having to learn even these things. And how scared and risky it felt as I tried to look an adult in the eye. There was a story in 2010, I don't know if you remember, in California where neighbors were shocked to learn that a man had been keeping a woman and two children hostage in his suburban backyard for 19 years undetected. When the neighbors were interviewed, their response was that it was none of their business why the man had tents and tarps hanging everywhere and shed after shed everywhere in his backyard. And in all the years he had lived there, no one had troubled themselves to have the kind of social interaction that might have ended a situation like that. All it would have taken is someone to go over and say hello, but it wasn't their place. We think that way, don't we, sometimes? We always think it's someone else's job to do this or someone else's job to do that. And we think about those neighbors and we think how crazy that is. How could you let someone live 19 years by you and not find that out? But my question to you is this. When was the last time you intentionally pursued your neighbor for the sake of Christ? When is the next time you, last time you knocked on their door and said, come to dinner? Come to our barbecue? Come hang out with us and be a part of my life? We like to isolate ourselves, don't we? We like to build our kingdoms and not let anyone in. We live in fear of anyone or anything that's remotely different. So we isolate in our castles, no matter how big or small they are, out of fear. When I was in college, I went on a mission trip to Chicago. It's a fun trip, one of the first mission trips I went on to as a young adult. And um, this was a mission trip like no others because a portion of the trip, my buddies and I, our plan was we planned to be homeless. On purpose. And so we took a backpack and we took our IDs and a water bottle and a cell phone in case we had emergencies. We had nothing else. We had no money, no cards, no food. And we had someone drop us off in downtown Chicago and say, pick us up tomorrow. We had nowhere to stay that night. And, and, and it's a funny thing, when, when, when you have no money and you look a little tattered, you can't go in the Burger King and just hang out out of the cold because they throw you out for loitering. I know. You have no money to buy a burger with. So we walked around Chicago when we were cold and we were miserable. 
And I learned so many things through this experience. But my point in sharing this story with you is my buddies and I went to a shelter because we had to find somewhere to eat. We had to find somewhere to sleep. And we went to this shelter and we got our food and we looked around and we saw a man over in the corner uh, sitting by himself. Now listen, this dude didn't look like the dude to mess with. Um, This dude looked rough, looked hard, had some rough edges around him. I looked at my my buddy and said, let's go sit over there. So we went over and we sat down by him and we got, we said, hey, can we sit here? And he said, yeah. So we sat there and weren't trying to deceive the man, but our experience, this was what we were doing. So we didn't say, hey, we're having this experience. We're homeless. No, we were just trying to experience what it was like, what it felt like to have nothing. So we sit down by the man, we introduced ourselves and started talking to him. And it turns out this man was a famous jazz musician in, in uh, Chicago. We verified it. This dude was legit, but he fell on hard times. And things happened in his life, and he found himself where he was. So we sat, we shared and communed with him, had a meal with him, and we talked with him. And we talked about faith. We talked about life, choices, good choices, bad choices, all kinds of things with him. At the end of that conversation, we were able to connect him with a church, and his story began to change for the better. Kept up with him for a while, but as life goes, lost track. But it was one of the most amazing experiences in my life because for the first time, I had stepped out in faith and I had interacted with someone about faith that was totally different than me. I had nothing in common with this dude at all. But we walked away able to have a conversation, able to talk about faith, and able to point him the right direction. I'd suggest to you that we've worked very hard at keeping ourselves safe. And we've worked very hard at keeping our families safe and sheltered and protected. And, and I'm not being critical of that. It's our job to protect our families. But I would suggest to you that this has caused for some of us a detour for how God has called us to live. Because loving your neighbor is not always safe. And safety is not the ultimate pursuit that God has called us to. Loving your neighbors is messy. And it means our lives have to intersect with theirs. That is risk. You risk your time. You risk your energy. Sometimes you may even risk more than that. But to be a good neighbor, you've got to step out and take risks. Taking risks are not just for missionaries who live overseas, who come once a year or to some conference and tell us these great and wonderful stories. And we're like, ah, oh. no, that's for every one of you every day of your life or who was bought with the blood of Christ. So loving our neighbor doesn't equate safety. And it's not our goal to pursue merely safety. Loving our neighbor also does not equal being religious. So the man in our story has been stripped and he's been beaten and he's been left for half dead. A series of people begin to walk by the man and observe the man. Who does it say walks by? First, a priest walks by. And second, a Levite walks by. Both of these men were holy men Religious leaders in Israel, they're trained men, men that were respected, men that were honored, men that were looked to as godly men. They were men who believed all the right things. They knew all the spiritual things to make them sound right. They practiced and they worshiped all the right ways. They were men who, men who never missed church, even if there was a blizzard. Maybe not in this desert climate, but you know what I mean. 
These were men who from their appearance had it all together and were God's vessels. But what's it say they do? It says, when they saw him, they passed by on the other side. Now, we can't pass over this. These holy men see a man who's been half destroyed, and you would think compassion would come over them, right? Wrong. When they see it's not compassion, but it's disgust. How do I know it's disgust? They literally cross the road and pass him on the other side so they don't have to deal with him laying there half dead. How many of us have done this very thing? We see someone in need physically, spiritually, emotionally, maybe holistically. We suddenly, we clam up and we put our head down and we just turn the other way. I'll admit it, if you won't, I've done it before. But let me tell you, that's what gives an unbelieving world the charge to say, you are hypocrites. That you're not believing and living the way you're saying you believe. Where's the action? But what do we learn from this? We learn that just because we're religious people, just because we're involved in every church activity, just because we serve on a committee or listen to Christian music or any, add anything else, it doesn't mean that we're obeying God's command of loving our neighbor. Does that upset you? Just from the scripture. But we get confused. Religious activity is good. Bible study, activities here at Parkway that are getting ready to start. We want you to be a part of that. But we get confused as to their purpose, don't we? You see, we, we gather here. Why do we gather here? We gather here so we may be filled with the gospel, filled with encouragement from one another so that we can go out and be missionaries to fulfill what God has called us to do in the Great Commission. But we confuse that sometimes, and all we do is we just keep coming back and fill ourselves and fill ourselves and fill ourselves and fill ourselves and fill ourselves. And we think the purpose of our lives is to be obese spiritually. Like Golden Corral, and we go and we eat and we eat and we eat and we go home and unloosen the belt and let our gut hang out. But hear me, the purpose for us gathering to worship Jesus, the purpose for us gathering in everything we do here at Parkway is for us to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. The purpose is to, to grieve and to have joy with one another, to encourage one another so that we can go out and pour ourselves out to an unbelieving world that needs to hear the gospel. Friends, loving our neighbor is not merely religious, but growing in the knowledge and grace of God so that we can go out as commissioned people and do what we've been commanded to do. It's not just being religious. Loving our neighbor isn't also, it's, isn't finding people like us. The scriptures do not tell us what ethnicity the man who was walking along the road was. It says he was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, though. Now, let's imagine that this man was an Israelite. Let's just imagine. Pretty good guess. Let's imagine he was an Israelite. Then why wouldn't the priest and Levite stop? It was his brother. It was one of them. Why wouldn't they stop to help him? But they didn't. Who did? A Samaritan. What is a Samaritan? A Samaritan is a half Jew and a half Gentile. The Samaritans uh, came about after the Assyrian captivity of the northern kingdom of Israel in 721 BC. These were certain people from the nation of Israel. They stayed behind after this and they intermarried with the Assyrians, producing the Samaritans. To everyone else, they were half breeds. To everyone else, 
They were despised, outcasts, unclean, not a part of the social or religious order that you wanted to be a part of. People that from how you looked at them said, man, no, they don't have it together. Yikes, let's not go near that. Yet what does it say the Samaritan man did when he saw the man half dead? He had compassion on him. A man that was not like him. A man that had made different choices than him. A man that had a different background than him. He had compassion on him. Listen, if we are following Jesus, we are commanded to share the good news and have compassion on people not just like us who have made what we deem maybe the right choices in life. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if that is the case, we are called to share the good news and the love people we might not know, people that are, might not be like us, and in fact, with people that might hate us. In our culture today, we're told, there's this message out that we're told to despise anyone that isn't like us. Anyone who disagrees with you, despise them. Anyone who doesn't look like you, despise them. Anyone who doesn't talk like you, despise them. Anyone who doesn't think like you, despise them. But our culture says this to everyone. And so the culture, is the, have you noticed the thermostat of our culture is warming up? People are mad at each other all the time. Turn your television on. This is how major news networks make their money. They just find different groups to pit up against each other. And it's just ever road of money for them that comes in. But this is where it gets real because for we who know Jesus, he doesn't call us to go simply and find people that look like us or dress like us or in the same profession as us, have made the same life choices as us or even has the same skin color as us. No, you see, friends, Jesus said to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, not just the ones who wear sport coats like my fancy one this morning. He said, don't go into your little world. He said, go into all the world. And in the world, there are people that are different than you, who need to know Jesus, who need to see compassion from his people, who need to hear the truth of the gospel so they may repent, so that they may give glory to God like we're trying to do here this morning. Are you limiting yourself on obeying God's command of loving your neighbor because you're looking for neighbors just like you? Heaven's going to be miserable for you then. Because heaven's not going to look like that. So what is loving our neighbor? Our third point this morning. Loving our neighbor means we are aware. It says, when the Samaritan man, he's walking down the road, he comes upon the man, he changes his walk. Prior to coming up to this man, he was on a journey. A journey for what? We don't know. It doesn't say but what we do know is that he was in the middle of a plan and he came upon the man and everything changes, doesn't it? His plans had to change. Millie, come on up. Grab that microphone as you're coming up there, sitting on that pew right there. That'd be helpful so we can hear you. So I invited Millie to come up and, and, and I wanted to ask her a couple of questions. She was sharing me this story with me um, just a few weeks ago and I wanted to ask her something. Because, come on up. Yeah, Millie's really excited to be up here. If you know Millie, Millie and David are great, great family in our church. So Millie, you had an encounter at Freddy's Frozen Custard. How many of y'all love Freddy's Frozen Custard? Amen. I love, if you don't know where that's at, I'll have to go take you there. But tell me about this encounter you had at Freddy's Frozen Custard. Okay, so on Sunday, one day, um, we went there for lunch with mm -hmm. the Strouds, like we often do. 
And Christy and I were standing in line, and a lady came up behind us and just commented on how nicely we were dressed. We must have been to church. And so Christy told her, yes, we go to Parkway Baptist Church. It's down Olive, west of 270. So this lady was new in the community, right? She went on to tell us that she was moving that day. And um, so by this time, it was time for us to order. So we wished her well. Yeah, so you, but then you said you went back up to her, like, later, right? I did. Um, While I was getting my drink and ketchup, the thought came to mind that I should get her phone number. Yeah, I think that was the Holy Spirit, but that's just me, Millie. But (laughs) this is the Holy Spirit working in your life. Uh, So were you nervous? Like, that's, that's, that's crazy to go back up to someone and do that. Were you nervous or scared or anything about that? No, not really. It just seemed like the natural thing to do. So have you been in contact with her since then? Like, what's been going on with that? Actually, she contacted me. She texted and asked if our women's group was getting a group together to go to an event at another church next month. And I told her no, but that we were going to have a trivia night, and would she like to come? And she said yes. Great. Did she come? She did come. All right. Yes. So what happened after that? Well, after the trivia night, she said, I'll see you at church on Sunday. And she came. Wow. And so after the service, Christy and I were able to have a nice conversation with her. That's great. That's amazing. How can we pray for you in this relationship? I guess just that God would bring her to mind so Mm -hmm. that I could continue the relationship, contact her, and see if there's anything I can help her with or just be her friend. Great. Thanks for sharing that, Millie. Thanks so much. Yeah, sure. You did it, Millie. Good job. No nerves. That's an amazing story. Those are the stories we want to tell. Gets me fired up. This is where we need to spend our energy and, and our time, because what did Millie do? This is not about Millie, by the way. She would be the first to say this. She's simply to go and and get a hamburger. But as she's going to get a hamburger, a person comes across her path. And through the Lord's leading, she sees that opportunity. She gets the phone number. And now Millie's got an opportunity to share the gospel, to love her neighbor as she loves herself, for a discipleship, mentoring relationship. Who knows what will happen? But it's all because... She wasn't so busy getting her hamburger that she didn't. She said, no, i got to go back to this young woman. i got to reach out to her. She came. Friends, God's doing things and bringing people across your path every day. And there are opportunities to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, but I'm afraid in our busy society we look at them as roadblocks and we should look at them as opportunities to exercise our faith. We need to be people who are aware of how God is moving around us because no matter your age, no matter where you're at, God is putting people in your path like he did with the Samaritan man that need you, that need the Lord. Listen, if we start to become aware of how God is moving and the people that God is moving and not just having this happenstance, oh, I got a hamburger and she liked my dress. No, no, this is, this is God-ordained stuff and, and we have to seize this, man, your life will begin to revolutionize. You'll start to see and experience the Lord in new ways. Because loving our neighbor means we respond with compassion. The Samaritan man had compassion upon the man. 
And notice he doesn't ask questions. He doesn't analyze the half-dead man and kick him while he's down. He goes to the man and he sees his need and he drops everything and he helps him. What does he do? He, he, he bound up his wounds. He cleans his wounds with oil and wine. He sets the man on his animal and he takes him to the inn and it says he took care of him. The Samaritan didn't just simply throw a coin at the innkeeper and say, well, see you later, dude. I got better things to do. He cared for him. He allowed his plans to be changed. I have a secret to tell you. I'm a planner. I like order. Hopefully that's a good thing for you to hear. You hired me as one of my jobs to be the administrative pastor here, so hopefully that's encouraging to you. But I also have to tell you that isn't always a good thing in my life. Because I like to plan, I like to have order. There are times when things jump outside of that plan, when things jump outside of that order, and it rattles me sometimes, like it might rattle you. If you're like me, you have to work very hard at being aware and compassionate when things come your way that you're not planning on. Because here's the deal. Sometimes the best things that God will do through us are at the times and situations we don't or can't plan for. Are we aware of when God gives us opportunities and do we seize them with compassionate, a compassionate posture when they come? Or do we see these situations as a nuisance? We have to be compassionate. We have to be ready for our plans to be changed Loving our neighbor also means sacrifice, verse 35. The Samaritan man comes and cares for him and stays with him. And when he has to leave, he basically writes a blank check to the end, saying, spend on this man anything you need and I will repay you. And this is one of the most challenging things in this passage to me. If we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves, sacrifice is at the top of that practice. And we are called to sacrifice our time, our energy, our resources to obey this command. I've shared with you how expensive our adoption was. It was. Lots of money. Now, when we began that process, Leslie and I, as I've shared, we weren't even, we couldn't even begin to think about paying for that. But what we saw was a miracle come around us. People uh, from all walks of life came around us and said, we want to help you. Christians and non-Christians alike. So let us help you with this. And it was humbling because some of the amazing thing to us was some of the donations we received from non-Christians were much more generous than from Christians. And, and, and that's fine. Everyone has what they can afford to do, and that's not the whole super point of that. But it wasn't because they were rich, because they sacrificed. And it blew my mind. If you don't have the hope of the world, why would you want to sacrifice? If someone who has no hope can be extremely generous and sacrificial, how can I not be with my time and with my energy who claims to have the best news that everyone needs to hear? When is the last time you sacrificed for the sake of your neighbor when you didn't expect anything in return? I mean, like it really cost you something. Like, like, it's, like it's, I'm going to go do this, but instead of doing this or buying this, I'm going to just give this away and do without it's one thing for us to sacrifice for one another, and that's wonderful. That's, that's wonderful. But what about your neighbor who has no hope in Christ? Do you sacrifice for them? To your neighbor who may not know Jesus, who may get angry every time you cut your grass or, or, or let your dogs out, how are you sacrificing for, for them? 
You see, being a good neighbor is a three-step process. It's becoming aware, it's compassion, and it's sacrifice. That's it. Now, before we conclude, we have to remember that this is a command in verses 36 and 37. We're reminded of this. We, we come back to this, that loving our neighbor isn't a, just a feel-good thing. It isn't something we just write on our Hallmark cards. It is a command. Jesus says that the Samaritan man proved he was a neighbor. How? By showing mercy. He tells the lawyer to go and to do the same. So who is our neighbor? That's the question we ask at the beginning, right? If we look at this story, who is our neighbor? To anyone who God brings in our path. To anyone who God brings in our path. Anyone, anywhere, anytime. Dear friends, let me say this. Right now we're without a music minister, aren't we? John's doing a great job. So grateful he's here. And in a few weeks, our student minister is leaving to pursue what God has called him to do, and we're so proud of him for what he's doing. And, and when times of transition happen, we get nervous, don't we? What's going to happen? What's going what's to go on? Let me say this to you. The impact and health of Parkway for our future doesn't rely on who the next music minister is. The impact and health of Parkway doesn't rely upon who the next student minister is. It doesn't rely on me as a leader or any of our staff. It relies on all of us. God will provide those people that we need. But the impact and health of our church and our ability to love people, reach Christ, impact our community, lies with each one of us, allowing God to use us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And each of us pursuing Christ with all we have in his strength. Think about how much we love ourselves. Because we haven't talked about that much. And I'm in my conclusion, so that's a problem. But let's talk about this. Look at the nice clothes we wear. Look at the nice houses we live in and the cars we drive. Most of us are not going hungry. For many of us, the wants are more in view than the needs in our life. But when each one of us together, when we push forward and we say that we are going to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, something radical happens. Because, friends, to love your neighbors as we love ourselves means surrender. It means the end of you. Just like loving God with all of our being, loving our neighbor as we love ourselves is impossible without Jesus. And it's impossible without an end to ourselves daily. Seven years ago, 2012, I was a missions minister in southwest Missouri, and I was embarking, almost to the day, I was embarking on a trip halfway around the world to a country, I won't say it's a big country, one of the most populous countries in the world. You can probably figure that out. And one that's hostile to the gospel. I went with a few colleagues, and our goal was to meet with missionaries we supported there to encourage their ministry, their marriage, their family, make sure they were doing well. We journeyed 22 hours in the air, and we arrived to an area that looked very similar to the United States. I walked down the street and saw a Kentucky Fried Chicken and a Pizza Hut. And I thought, wow, this is an industrialized area. This doesn't seem so bad. A few nights in, the missionaries desired, desired for some of the local nationals to come, believers, 
to come to their home for dinner to, to meet us. So they came, and after dinner, we sat around, and we sang worship songs. They, in their native language, and, and me in English at the same time, that was fun. We should do that sometime here at Parkway. It was really fun. We read from Scripture. We prayed. And as I sat in this tiny apartment, uh, I, I looked in the faces of these believers, tears running down their face, singing and worshiping and times that I, I few and far between seen in my own country. And I, and, and I hadn't realized something until that moment that we're breaking the law right now. We were breaking the law right now. You see, the country I was in, the government controls the church. Anytime the church gets too big, they squash it. People disappear. Churches burn. That You have to be licensed by the government, and the government tells you what you can and can't say in the church. And they control it. So anytime it gets too big, they squash it. This is, so I realized for the, for the first time, I had been a part of the underground church movement. And I'm sitting there, and I didn't even realize it. Now, we, for we Americans, what would have happened if we had gotten caught? It wouldn't have been a big deal. We would have been escorted swiftly to the airport. Our visas probably revoked and put on a plane back to the U.S. But, oh, dear friends, for our, our national friends there, it would have been a different story. If they had been caught, they would have most likely either been sent to a work camp in horrific conditions or more than likely never heard from again. This is not some tribe in Africa. This is an industrialized country. KFC is right down the street. So I sat there and I'm thinking about all these things in my mind and it overwhelmed my heart. I listened as they shared how they were risking everything, trying to witness to their friends, trying to witness to their family and, and desiring to live by the things that we've talked about the last two weeks loving God with their all and loving their neighbors as themselves. And later in the evening, I went up to a couple of those national believers and I just and it's through translator, of course, and, and I, I asked them the question. I looked in their eyes and I said, why? Why would you risk everything to do what you just did with me? And as the translation came through, they all of a sudden looked very puzzled. And they looked that way at me, and through the translator, this is what they said to me. How could we not... Have you not tasted the majesty of our Savior? Have you not experienced the joy that comes from surrendering everything to him? He is glorious. Friends, Jesus doesn't want just some of you. He wants it all. He doesn't want 1030 on Sunday. He doesn't want your small social group of Christians who all look and just talk just like you. He wants all of you. He wants surrender. He wants your life to be given as a sacrifice to him to love others. He wants you to be the light of his light in this world, taking the gospel to trust him that he is in control to whomever he desires to reach. Loving the Lord our God with all of our being and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, that takes everything. The only way we can achieve this is through the power of Jesus. Do you know Jesus today? I do not mean did you grow up at this church and as a youth and now you're an adult with your own children. I mean, do you know Jesus today? You know if you do or not. You know in your heart. I don't have to say anything else. Have you surrendered your lives to him? Is he your Lord 
Have you died to yourself and surrendered to his leadership in your life? If you've not, I urge you in a few moments, we'll be down here. We'd love to receive you. love to pray with you. love to talk with you about that. Help you make your decision. If you're a follower of Jesus and maybe there's areas you're convicted about this morning that you need prayer for. Maybe there's areas you realize you're holding back and, and, and it's you're having all kinds of challenges and loving your neighbors. You're frustrated. Maybe there's things we haven't surrendered yet. Come on down. We'd love to pray with you. We love you. We're not just here to sing some songs and do some things and go to lunch. No, we're, we're here to love you. We're here to serve you. And we're here to encourage you so that you may go out and be missionaries in this world. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. And we thank you that it is our hope. And we thank you that Without the cross, we are done. Without you, we are done. But with you, we are everything. We only have victory through you. And so, Jesus, right now, we pray. God, how are we loving our neighbor as much as we love ourselves? I know for me, I cannot love my neighbor as much as I love myself. Because in my heart, I am a sinner. And I love myself more than anyone else. But, oh, Lord, I ask that you would change my heart. I pray that you would change the hearts of of our church every day. Renew us daily that we might love our neighbors sacrificially. We'd be aware of the people that you you are placing in our lives. That we may show them compassion as the Samaritan man did to the man who was without hope on the road. Jesus, we're grateful for you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you come forward?